Susan, you have a nice bat last name there, Susan Miracle. <laughs> can I can I hear from you? Yes. Can you hear me? Sure, I can hear you. All right. You know, this is the first time I've ever heard you talk, and this is really great. I really appreciate it, and it's so on target. Um, my question is, uh, for for a period of time, I used to be in a van pool, which meant that I was commuting like 45 minutes in the morning and, and an hour and a half, and I would use that to meditate. So every day when I hit the van, I would start meditating, and and I got to the point where my mind was quiet. And I thought, this is like really cool. And I was really happy. And then a number of days went by. And then all of a sudden my mind said, is this it? You got this far and this was all? And so then I, could you talk a little bit about plateaus? I mean, I'm wondering, do we hit plateaus? Is that what I was looking at? I certainly have. I can't speak for all people, but I certainly do. And when you hit a plateau, it just means it's not going at your speed. It's not a plateau. It's a, you know how... We're, we're expecting a 20% grade. Yeah. And a plateau is actually a 1% grade. You're still going up or down or whatever your direction might be, hopefully up. But it's not the incline that you'd hope for. You're not feeling the change, right? So much of, of the alterations that occur within us have that kind of gradual slope feel to it. And it's not until you've walked a great deal on that slope that you see that you've gained any height, any new vantage point. And so it's very important for you not to judge your meditation. It's very important for you not to try to find where you're located on the meditation path and try to pinpoint your particular what you are and where you are. That's really none of your business. And I say that gently, but it really isn't any of your business. Just keep walking. Everyone that walks, my teacher used to say, makes it. It does. That's and I totally buy that. It's the when you have dismissed it as oh I didn't get far enough and I don't know what. You know, I, whenever you dismiss it and you turn your mind away from awareness, well then you've got a life of isolation. Looking forward to uh, a life of isolation. So I. I would never stop walking, no matter whether you think you're gaining any height or not. All right. Well, thank you. I, I just was unaware that that happened. No, no, it happens. It happens. I mean, I can't say it happens. Yeah, I can say it pretty much it happens to everyone because everyone I ever talked to has had that experience. Yeah. So it's a very common one. Well, thank you. You bet, Susan. Thank you. Jim. Hi, Rodney. Excellent couple of days. Thank you. Um, I was in your uh, introduction to meditation class in the fall of 2010. Uh, just FYI, uh, I've never toyed with inquiry. Um, but when you ask uh, how much self-adjustment is in your meditation, uh, as, as soon as I went into it, I immediately wanted to know, well, does that include uh, redirecting a wandering mind? Yes. Uh, well, I finally, I finally got there. <laughs> it means any movement. Yeah. So in other words, I mean, that's, that's where we put most of our effort is in getting our mind back. Okay. As if we were responsible for it leaving. It leaves on its own. 
and it comes back on its own. We claim ownership of both movements. We claim the ownership that it left, what is wrong with me? And we claim ownership that we brought it back. Good, I'm back, right? And neither one of them had anything to do with you. Well, that's what made so, this so, so satisfying that when I finally, ex when you said, uh, what if I let go of that control? I did so, and it was just surprised that it just came on back by, all by itself. <laughs> <laughs> that's your intention that brings it back. That's the deeper yearning inside of you. If you didn't have that, it would stay away. Why would it come back? It doesn't care about being present, you see. But the deeper yearning within you does care about that. And so you let you turn your effort over to that intentionality that's there within our hearts. Hmm? And that then that's really going to change the uh, nature of my meditations. Yes, I hope it does. And so I'm that's that's I just I guess I just wanted to hear that that is a desirable direction here. Well, prove it to yourself. Don't take my word for it. See if it, see if, see what changes accompany your leaving your mind alone. First thing I would do, I would read the Buddha's third foundation, as I mentioned, get a sense of that. If you have my book, I kind of elaborate upon that. And that's the, the touching the infinite. And that's right. a very important because the mind that wants something from the mind is the divided mind. No matter what it wants, if it wants something, it's a mental phenomenon of division because what it has is not sufficient. So it divides itself. And it's waiting, it's waiting, that waiting period for it to change to something I like is the act of separation and the act of isolation called me. Right? So to leave it alone takes a while for you to adjust to that. Sometimes it feels awkward. Sometimes it feels like you're wasting time. So if you just let that go, go through all of those different phases and the ups and downs of that, because it's a process of learning itself, you'll see something amazing coming together. Because when you're not evoking separation, a non-divided mind, the perceptual field of a non-divided mind looks holistic. It begins, it can look unified or one in a oneness kind of way, or it can look like perfection, like the way life is supposed to be, because you're not getting involved in your judgments. What you then see is the perfection of the way it is. And that really, it it's, can be strikingly beautiful, right? Because you say, my God, it's all, it's all perfect the way it is, even with all of the, conflict and war and all of that, it still has a, there's a perfection of it all in totality that you begin to, uh, uh, you begin to taste. Okay. So give yourself plenty of time and just it, go in that direction. That's, that's heading towards zero. Okay. Right? The other way where you're in charge of everything is really heading towards one. I mean, I'm saying it nicely is that we can be meditating in the wrong direction for most of our lives. Thank you. This I'm excited. Thank you. Okay, good one. You said it all, and I'm excited. That makes you interested. Yeah. <laughs> Jamie, come front and center. 
Take your, unmute yourself there, my friend. There you go. Hi, Rodney. Um, so um, I just wanted to share something. Um, yesterday you were talking about um, the fear and um, that, that I guess is fairly inevitable. And, um, and then that coupled with the inquiry, I thought, well, that would be a good inquiry. What is the fear? What is the fear? And Beautiful. And yeah, and, and, and I started sitting with that. And, and then this is relating to the faith you were talking about today. Um, I just happened to open on the chapter of the first foundation. It's like, oh, it's fear of death. That's what it is. It's, it's a fear that I will die. Like whatever my concept of me is. Sure. That's the fear. Yeah. That's what Okay, so don't leave that fear alone to heal itself. Be active in your healing to it. And what I can give, give you some suggestions if you wish, mm -hmm. and that is begin to include death in your perception so you, you see the ending of things, right? You look at, you know, the wind blows and then it stops blowing, the ending of that. You see some, you know, roadkill, the ending of that. You have a thought and it's gone, the ending of that. So start noticing that everything has an ending, right? And then say to yourself, I too will end. I too will be like this. This is my nature as well. I too will end. So that you become closer to the fact. And then if you'd like to even step closer to that, you can do things like, uh, like volunteer for a hospice program and uh, be at the patient bedside of people who are dying and just walk that journey quietly hand in hand with that. It's wonderful to do that. It, so, so work on different ways to bring the, the, that fear closer to you. Right. Don't be, don't let it back you away. Even now you've identified what it is. Don't back away from it. Keep it, keep it within your sight. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much. You bet. Thank you. Thank you. Roberta. Hello, Rodney. Um, I'm in the UK, so I'm really tired tonight during <laughs> the inquiry. <laughs> it's nearly midnight here. Um, but I did notice that I just allowed that to be there. And um, it's a... It, uh, it, it raised some really good feeling and what I wanted to ask you was I I think for me quite often there is good feeling if I'm moving towards zero um I'm not sure about that no but, no but joy no 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 you don't dismiss, it, don't dismiss that absolutely <laughs> when you move towards zero there's greater joy yeah, I, was, I wanted to ask about the, the uh, relationship with the Brahma Viharas and, and sure, and please, yeah. yeah. So, okay, moving towards zero, you'll find the spontaneous arising of love. Sometimes you just feel deeply affectionate. You don't know where it came from. It's just, it's just there, and it's it's just an amazing fact. You know, as we start clearing ourselves off the scale that there are certain arisings of compassion. You feel, you feel your own degree of sensitivity about your mind and body, but you also feel that for others as well. 
And that's a, a tremendous unifying factor. And all of a sudden, the reason that empathy is so important is that it, it's a unifying. It, it brings things together. It makes, me, it makes my predicament shared by all, right? And so this is a beautiful component to that. Uh, that's beautiful. And you have joy when somebody succeeds. It's not so, how come it wasn't me? I mean, that's going the opposite direction. It's like, well, good for them, you know, right? Yeah, so yeah. all of them are there, dear. All of them are there. <laughs> and it's, a, it, it's, it's, it's there because you're mar walking in, the, in a wise direction. Yes, good one. <laughs> good one. <laughs> Thank you, Rodney. Thanks. You bet. Get a good night's sleep tonight. I will. <laughs> okay. Steve. Hi, Hi Rodney. It's very good Hi. to see you. Um, and thank you so much for just the way you will together now in zero. I thought that was really, that really worked. Um, and also your discussions with your friend from your childhood, which br brought up kind of an area, a perennial area for me is, I mean, I pretty much put most of my energy into Dharma and giving the Dharma back and that's it. But there's a part of me that is still drawn to be activist in some way, you know, climate change or climate inequity, but how to do that without it being one always baffles me. And I end up, because it's very, it's, it's very oppositional. Even groups tend to be oppositional. So I wonder if you had any thoughts about that. Because how did maybe Thich Nhat Hanh or Dalai Lama do it towards zero? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know quite how. To, it's, an, it's an area I don't. It's hard. Anyway, thank you. No, uh, it's a very good question in this day and age. You know, because um, we don't really want to listen to the opposition. We don't really want to listen to the opposing point of view. But they, you expect them to listen to you because you're right. You know, and so immediately you go into conversation closed in one direction and kind of vociferous in the other. You're just kind of listen, shut up and listen to me. This is what, climate change is happening. I had this very discussion with my friend, and I wasn't pushing the point too far, but I said, All the scientists are in agreement with this, Bob. And he hung up on me, and I went, Geez. <laughs> Okay, well, <laughs> that didn't go anywhere. So I said, the next time we got on, I said, okay, tell me what you, what you see out there. What do you see? When he went into, well, there's been ups and downs in climates for 10,000 years, and it has nothing to do with what we're doing to the environment. Environment does it to itself. And I was really listening to him. I was thinking, oh, that's interesting. And I didn't disagree. I didn't counterimpose. I didn't, I said, that. Okay, so what, according, you know, that I just then asked questions according to his view that would allow him to try to interpret what I was seeing in terms of his view so that I wasn't trying to dismiss his view. I was just trying to elaborate on it so that it would include other contingencies. I said, well, when they do these ice bores down in Antarctica or wherever it is, they they find if they go way down into the ice, you know, 10,000 years ago, there was a certain amount of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. I said, and we're putting carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. Does it make sense that we might be affecting ice? You know, is that, does that make sense to you that that would, you see, so the discussion went more along a line in which I was listening to him and also trying to add my own uh evaluation or not so much evaluation but my own additions to what he was saying yeah 
I don't know, it doesn't, you're not going to change people's minds if they don't want to be changed, and it's just going to be fraught with angst and anxiety, self-righteousness. Well, I'm not talking to him anymore. So you dismiss the whole person, and instead of doing that, looking at their humanity and letting their humanity in, which is much broader than their single opinion, much wider, much more heart-connected than the disagreement we might be having, but I'm going to keep them out because I have a certain prejudice about you. You see, that's the way I approached it. And so then I just started doing that. I just, I start, that's how I became less prejudiced. Notice I'm not saying that all prejudice is gone in me, but less prejudice with ethnicities that I, my childhood grew up with a certain kind of prejudice. I said, okay, let's sit down. I want to sit down. I want to look you in the eye. I want to see your humanity. Then I don't give a darn what color your skin is or what religion you are or even who you are, really. If I can connect with your humanity, all of that is an equal factor of what is coming from me. So that's the way I approach it, Steve. But it's only yeah, just, yeah. Let me just follow one aspect. And I really appreciate sure. what you're saying in the last you know, yeah. six years. I felt like the Dharma has really kept me from being oppositional in my attitude towards persons about whose political positions I might disagree. I've been able to kind of really embrace them in a way. Right, but in right. terms of actually being, you know, doing any kind of activist work, that's where mm. I get stumped in particular because... No, I would go out and be... Well, I mean, activists... I mean, it's, I would work effortlessly towards getting the environment. I would speak to those who are willing to talk to me. I would sign petitions and get it on the ballot. I would do all the things that an activist does. I just wouldn't argue. I just wouldn't make it an argument. Yeah. You don't have to argue it. It's true. We're changing the climate. It's true. You don't have to argue it. It's like the Dharma. You don't have to argue the Dharma. Well, I don't believe in not self. I had some, <laughs> okay, well, okay. <laughs> nice to meet you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Okay, my friend. Thank good. You. Thank you. Nice to see you. Hey, good. You too. Absolutely. Alan, front and center, sir. Hi, Rodney. Um, Hi. For uh, holding this weekend. Um, yeah. So my my practice the last year or so has been what um, uh, some folks call shadow work, but basically being authentic as possible. And then when the rubs of life arise, um, get curious about it and look into it. Good, beautiful. And and it's a great practice. But also this weekend, it's become apparent that, you know, there's a way in which the self can have this as the self's activity, just like sure. any. Yeah, I can claim ownership. Yeah. Be and, proud of yourself. Don't but, Don't be too. That's okay. You know, sure, that's, sure. That's just the way the mind works. That's the navigational port. Okay. And and you just be light with it, you know. That's all, really. And I think it's that feeling you've been talking about. Like you can feel when yes. you're inhabiting the pre when it's, <laughs> it's direct. And you can feel when it's like I'm on tape delay. Yes. Isn't that amazing? You can feel your your in when the self is inhabiting you, right? You can feel it. You can, and it has a different texture. And the more you tune into that, the more because it's going to serve you going forward. 
the more you understand when the self is present and the feeling, the, the, um, the felt sense of it, the, and the more the mind, the awareness can, can see it. And so you just bring that awareness, not a judgmental awareness that it shouldn't be here, but just what, what is this thing called self? What is this? Let me, let me be curious about it, exactly what you're saying. And then just let it over time show you itself. Then all of a sudden it's gone. And then it comes back. Then it's gone. And then you start saying, well, what, what caused it to be gone? What caused it to become back? And you start piecing together the puzzle of how the self forms, which I've been sharing much of that with you this weekend, and how it dissipates. And you think, okay, so one's going towards a selflessness that the Buddha pointed as a direct way. The other is going towards self-fulfillment in the worst sense of that word, which is really, you know, egoic embellishment. I don't choose that way. That way is too individuated. It's too separate. It's too isolating. I don't want to do that anymore. I want to join. So then you begin to understand the nature of self through that, what you already have going for you now is that sense, that felt sense of when it's present. And when it, see, it's not a continuous thing. It's, it's, it's sometimes it's like a fly on the wall. It's that it's there, but you just, it's like just barely there. Sometimes it's like the biggest pronouncement, <laughs> you know, there's a big I in the mind. And I don't mean E-Y-E, I mean I. <laughs> so you just, but you, no matter how it forms itself, your question is not about its formation. It's about, wow, this is amazing. What's going on here? What just happened? You could be in an argument, for instance, and you're reactive, big I. Or you could be just tender and very human in the moment, small I. So you can see the self thinning depending upon how loose you are in relationship to your self-control and your self-worth and yourself, all of that stuff. Right? Does that make sense to you? It does, Ronnie. Thank you. You bet. Good. Thank you. <laughs> Paul. Dear friend, well, hello, you. how are you? Well, I'm good, and uh, I'm really grateful for your living a life that allows us to wake up, even though you're exhausting yourself in the process. So thanks for that. Let, let me interrupt just for a second. All of us are waking up together. We're all doing this together. You're <laughs> okay. helping me wake up. Everything's waking up with it. Everything's, okay. it, really, it really is that fact mm -hmm. that it's not in isolation. It's all things. It has to. So we're going off a cliff. You don't wake up now, you're going to be at the bottom of the cliff. <laughs> okay, so thanks, <laughs> everybody. <an> <laughs> yeah, right. So a, a comment and a question. Uh, I was of the party that says, I can't do this self-inquiry. It's never worked. And I did it, and it worked. So I have seen the light. <laughs> I see the light, Lord. Hallelujah. <laughs> so the question is, <clears throat> I've kept journals all my life. And they're the record of, you know, events, but most of our reactions and insights, books. And when my birthday comes along, I take them out and I review them. Uh, and I always do it with a little bit of, a, I don't know what the right word is, self-doubt, because I'm thinking, now, wait a minute, my job is to make the self thin. And here I am feeding it, making it plump. So not that's true. my dilemma. Not true. Okay. No. That journey journaling is 
an amazing thinning process. In fact, you said you weren't inquiry. Your journals are inquiry. You're letting the day show itself to you. You're letting your reactivity show themselves to you. You're exposing those which most of us want to cover over as quickly as possible. That is the thinning process you're going through, Paul. So continue to journal, you know, and it's probably just for you, not for anyone else. And so your journaling isn't to try to make yourself pronounced and good to other people's eyes. It's your eyes that are seeing all of that. And if you start going in that direction, you'll know you're going in a direction that is pomp. You know, it's not, so you're, it's very much in line with the meditation. And many people journal, and I, I, I for one, haven't, but I never discourage it. I think it's so, it's such a skillful way to move forward. And that also makes reviewing the journal on my birthday when I just sit down and re-meet myself. That's that's the part I'm worried about or concerned about. Is the what now? So on my birthday, I sit down and I read through as much as I can. And my concern was that that was going to puff up my ego. But I guess you're saying it can be a second round of inquiry. It can be a second round of inquiry. And if you do get puffed up, you say, what's going on here? It's like, Mm -hmm. wow, let me journal that. (laughs) Well, I sat down, it's my birthday, I read my journal, and boy, do I feel proud. Now you've exposed (laughs) it. You've exposed, that's all this is, is Mm -hmm. self-exposure. That's all. Not a self-elimination, not suppressing, not highlighting. Or It's just seeing. So when you're aware of something going on, journal it. And now you're seeing it. See, you see that you can't get away from yourself now. You've done this too much. So even your journal, journaling is going to expose you more and more to yourself. Blessed be that. Thanks, Heidi. You bet. My pleasure. <laughs> Jayla, Jayla. Hi, Rodney. Hi, dear. Nice to see you. Nice to see you and just want to express my gratitude for this weekend and all your teaching. And um, especially in this last inquiry and the non-interference, there was just such an experience that came in of safety, which yes, I don't know yes. myself a lot. Yeah. Yes. It yes, was beautiful. like, wow. And and with that, it's just this feeling of love. And then yes. it, there was like an ease because it's like, oh, it's, it's like safe and trustworthy exactly of course i want to see this yes yeah. i hope more of it comes out you know i yeah. want to see this i don't want to push it down and not be seen you see yeah. that yeah. gives you joy when you're seeing a part of you that you've missed mm-hmm. it reconnects with you in joy yeah and then it, it is like it's like whatever comes up it's okay and then That's then you right. want to be present then you want to be in the now because <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> ah, ah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So thank you for that. And just, yeah, just really other people commented and I, that I think feeling that, that kind of love and come in just felt like, ah. <laughs> so uh, I think I'll do more of this inquiry in the future rather than diets. I think people are getting more out of it than, than the, uh, the other, but We'll see. If you have an opinion about that, you can leave me a, a note somewhere. Not just you, but I'm speaking to everybody. Okay, all. Jennifer. 
Jennifer, Jennifer, are you there? Unmute yourself, dear. There you go. Hi. Um, so thank you so much for your teachings. I've really benefited from them. And um, I have two questions. One question is, this is going to, I think I know the answer to this already, but when you said you don't have a mind, you are the mind, and like leave the mind be, then I guess my question would be like, why do we meditate? <laughs> I don't know if that makes sense, but I, well, yeah. to prove that point. Okay. Because you don't. Most people, if you ask the conventional, if you ask people from conventional reality whether they have a mind, I guarantee you, at least ninety-nine of them would say they, of course, they have a mind. You know, and it's not well behaved or whatever. You know, if they have more insight, uh, and. If you ask a hundred meditators, pretty close to 99, maybe 95, would say they, of course I have a mind. You know, I'm trying to see it and I'm doing all this. Few of them would say that they are a mental process. The sense of them is a mental process, which means it's part of the mind. But scientists will tell you that. It's not outside the, scientists, I heard one neurologist say that there's a billion neurons, all of which confirm the sense of you. So it's better to say there are a billion of you rather than to say there is one of you. So what we're doing is not separating ourselves out as from the organ that we are actually a part of. That's tremendously important. Because if you don't separate yourself, you won't be in dispute of it. You'll realize that the mind arguing against itself has its own ramifications, has its own effect. And it's not a good effect. It's like self-hatred. Mm -hmm. And I guess I would rather not feel that way. Because you can get so angry at what's coming up in your mind that you close yourself off to receiving what is there in any kind of alert and attentive way. And that's much more dangerous. Now you do have a shadow. Now you have the unconscious, which will be nipping at your heels forever as you walk, talk, sit, or whatever. Mm -hmm. You see? So include it. Include it in there and just don't argue with it anymore. And let the whole thing represent what you want to see rather than you looking to see certain parts of the mind. Just let the whole thing be in its whole wholeness and its completeness that makes sense Does that make sense to you yeah and then my other question is of just curious about enlightenment and when the buddha became enlightened did, did he stop making mistakes and stop causing harm is that how his how he walked in the world at that point well i wasn't there but I guarantee you he made mistakes mm -hmm. that's not part of awakening mistakes are going to happen forever that's the nature of being in this realm this consciousness this conventional realm where 
there are other people around. I'm going to make mistakes, not meet other people's expectations. Say things that hurt them, not knowing what hurts them. I say things that hurt them. I'm going to be making all kinds of mistakes. I'm also willing to acknowledge what I just did if, it's, if I get feedback and to try to learn from it. And that I'm sure he did as well. Because that's the awakened way. Not not making mistakes. That that's I don't know what that, that I've never met anybody that I never wanna I'll put it differently. I don't wanna meet somebody that doesn't make mistakes. That's no that's no representative to me of human humanity. Humanity steps on their toes. Yeah? Yes, thank you. Okay, good. Sarah Penn. Sarah yes. Penn. Hi, Sarah. Hi. Um, you, to an extent, answered um, questions about the same thing I had. And so I, I got a little clarification, but I want to go back to it about um, when we're meditating, if we're not giving our mind <laughs> ourselves instructions like redirecting attention or um letting go of stories or letting things pass um what does it look like i mean i i kind of grasp what you have said but i'm so used to kind of doing some of those things it's difficult for me to picture it and then the other part is what about the things that I'm saying to my body like let go of that like when I'm when I'm focusing in I'm noticing you know I whenever I meditate there's a moment when I notice all the tension you know in my jaw and throughout my body how how does one message oneself about that or is that similar to you know interfering no i i don't want to take that away from you if if little words that you use like surrender to this just relax this are helpful in getting you to be less uh, objectionable about what's going on then do so okay it's okay because what you're trying to do you need that and there are a time in practice when people need to do that for quite a ways, quite a ways into, where they're just reminding themselves of the course of practice is not to fight against themselves. Okay, just just let this be. You know, you can you can say things that get you to remove your argument rather than to further your argument. So surrender, let it go, just relax to this. Those things you are releasing argument with, right? So if you need little reminders in order to release remind, because what we're ultimately trying to do is release argument, right? And align ourselves so that we can just be with things as they are without the argument. But you need, for, for much of the meditation process, you need those little reminders. So if they're helpful, do so. Okay. Thank you. You bet. Tamara. Yeah, can you hear me? I can hear you. <laughs> oh, good. How nice to My see you. My audio is strange. Good to see yeah. you as well. Yeah. Wonderful yeah. to see you. Um, so in some ways, I think you've answered my question too around, it's around the inquiry. 
I found it interesting in the first question, I wrote exactly what is this, um, how much self-adjustment is in my meditation? I, and I thought we we're supposed to be answering it. So I was answering it in my head and it occurred to me, you know, how much self-adjustment is in my life? There you know, go. just like all these, there you go. You know, don't be acceptable here That's and right. don't, yeah, yeah. Um, and when you said to just relax, just not, don't do it in your head. That's it right. reminded me of one of those um, retreats at Still Meadow, and I'm not sure exactly what you did or how it happened, but you were talking to us about open awareness, and I, I actually didn't talk to others except for my, my wife, but that I felt like we just dropped into this place that was, right. um, was open and aware and didn't have, uh, there wasn't thinking and going on, and today when I just went to that, said, okay, relax. Instead, of, I would watch what's going on in my mind. It's like, oh, there's really nothing going on. Now, of course, then I had to comment on the fact. <laughs> right, sure. But, um, but it was kind of wild to take the effort away and see in some ways there was really nothing else. Beautiful. Beautiful. Now, don't move with it. Don't just let that sit with you. Okay, just let that sit with you. Don't. Don't look for, don't look to uh, do anything with it. Just let it sit with you. Because that's the effect. You felt the effect of leaving yourself alone. And when you leave yourself alone, awareness then comes out of hiding. It's been in hiding because you won't leave yourself alone. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> so leaving everything alone brings it out. It's like E.T. <laughs> ETs in the they go, okay, I'm not going to hurt you. Come on out, here's some candy. Eh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Last question. I'm sorry, but I do need to round up the thing. So, Valerie, let's do you. Hi, Rodney. Thanks so much for this weekend. Sure. You, um, you might have just already answered it, but I'm, I'm going to ask anyway. Um, sure. My question is, is when you're going from one to zero, how do you know that you aren't letting go of a concept and replacing it with another concept? How do you, or is that part of the process that eventually they all there fall you go. away? Okay. You answer. It's all, I, I often, if I let somebody speak about their question, they'll answer it themselves. <laughs> And you did just that, because that's an intrinsic wisdom, you know, that it's a process, right? So we're putting time back into it, and that's just the way it is. So the process is that you start substituting one concept for another, and then you get bottled up in those false trails, because they're all blind at some point. It's like trying to uh, navigate a maze and trying to find your way out, and you keep going down the wrong path by adding another concept, and you back up, and you go this way, and you add another concept, and say, now you get disgusted with yourself, and you're adding another. So, it, at, But you're growing in sensitivity to concepts in general. That's what's happening to you. And as you get more sensitive to concepts, they last shorter. They don't last as long. Right? You're on to it. And just let that mature in you. Right? You don't need to do anything to make it mature. It will mature naturally just through false trails, false paths, until you've gone through all of the different closed 
containers of a maze, and then by God, you see the outdoor. You can get you have the path away. Yeah. Okay. Okay, Gail. All right. Cool. Thank yeah, you. You bet. You bet.